We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you Thursday afternoon with game six coming up at Target Center on Friday at 8 p.m. For today's episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently. It's going to be a mix of a solo pod with me and then a guest pod after that. Kind of combined together. I, I just got back from Timberwolves practice, so I wanted to plug in some audio clips from Chris Finch, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards, who all spoke at practice today. So we'll have their clips and some of my thoughts. I will sort serve as sort of like a short preview of Game 6. And then we'll continue the preview and reflection on this series when I'm joined by Keith Parrish. Uh, similar to when I had Chris Harrington on before Game 5, Keith brings the Memphis perspective, being local in Tennessee, covering the Grizzlies. So again, we'll mishmash this together and uh, and get ourselves ready for game six. But starting with the Wolves' perspective, let's start at practice with Malik Beasley's thoughts on where the confidence level uh, of this team is right now going into game six. Here's Malik. Does that confidence come specifically from the way you guys responded on Saturday after game three, the way you guys played in game four? Uh, yeah, I mean, we thought like we played hard. We feel like we just, you know, uh, had a few mistakes. You know, we had a lead in the fourth quarter last game. Uh, so we just... Got to stay solid and not get complacent with the winning. And, uh, you know, make the right plays and not hit home runs. You said you're confident in how you guys match up at the beginning of this series. Yeah. Is that belief growing over the course of the series despite, you know, some I mean, losses? we honestly think it should be 4-1 right now. Uh, we should be resting just like Golden State. Uh, but, you know, we made some mistakes and we're a young team. We got to learn from it and bounce back. So, yeah, we feel confident and we're going to get tomorrow and take one game at a time. Confidence has not been a problem for this Wolves team coming into this series. I do genuinely believe that the players on this roster, the coaches, front office, that they were confident that this was a matchup that they could win if they were able to you know, mitigate some of those young team breakdowns that Malik was just talking about. You know, they they know they've learned that lapses and focus and maturity are costly in the playoffs. The minutes you're, you're not sharp do have a compounding negative impact in the playoffs. But I think the baseline belief, a belief that I do believe is growing in this group, is is founded in the idea that the Wolves feel like they have more advantages in this matchup than the Grizzlies do. Now, that doesn't mean Memphis doesn't have their own advantages. We've obviously seen those too. You, can, you, you can't take everything away, but but winning game six will be about breaking the blueprint Memphis has used in their three wins thus far in this series. Here's Chris Finch at practice today on what that blueprint has been for Memphis. Chris, can you talk a little bit about um, the fourth quarter for you guys and um, some of the woes that you've had? What are you seeing and what are some of the adjustments you're thinking of here? I mean, when we every time we've lost these guys, it's been the exact same blueprint. Uh, it's been fouling, offensive rebounds, and uh, offense too stagnant. So, you know, um, a lot of the fouling and the rebounds are related because, you know, the ball gets downhill into the paint. Um, and so it's just about tightening up that. And, uh, you know, the offense is just, you know, too many guys who want to go one-on-one. And, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've, we've talked about that 
uh, ad nauseum, you know. Um, but uh, you know, everybody wants to be the hero, and that's not how you're going to win these games. So. so let's run through the three things Finch lays out in that blueprint statistically. So, yes, the Wolves have fouled a ton in this series, but the Wolves also fouled a ton during the regular season. Only Detroit committed fouls that led to free throws at a higher rate than the Wolves did during the regular season. So some of this is to be expected. But that free throw rate allowed during the season was just 22.8%. And it was the second worst in the league. Second most frequent fouling team in the league, 22.8%. Now in this series, it's even substantially higher above that 27.3%, way more than even Detroit fouled this season. So that's the frequency of which free throws are drawn per shot attempt, right? That's free throw weight. So, so that is up even more in this playoff series. And fouling is up across the board in you know all eight of the playoff series, but it's been even more egregious in this Wolves-Grizzlies series, both ways, Wolves and Grizzlies, than it was during the regular season. So the Wolves, I mean, they're always going to foul. It, it's part of their identity. It's part of their defense, you know, as much as anything is. But even toning their foul rate down to the regular season average, that would go a long way in game six. Now, the next thing Finch brought up was the offensive rebounding. And that issue is interesting in that it has some nuance to it. Like Memphis is actually getting fewer offensive rebounds or offensive rebounds at a lower frequency than they did during the regular season. So statistically, the Wolves are actually, you know, quote unquote, doing a decent job on the glass but we've all watched these games it it certainly doesn't feel like that and that is the nuance of this offensive rebounding issue Memphis might not be getting more total offensive rebounds than they were during the regular season but they are getting higher leverage offensive rebounds the more valuable ones right like obviously Brandon Clark getting seven offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter of game five is a good example of that but that feeling of losing higher leverage rebounds is something the Wolves have had to fight the whole series, right? It wasn't just Clark in the fourth quarter there. It's it's when the game is on the line, Memphis has had a great nose for the ball on the offensive glass, and that will again be a fight in game six. Anthony Edwards was asked about that specifically, and his solution to that problem was was to the point. Here's Ant. Um, Yeah, I will go rebound the ball. You will see a lot of that tomorrow. I will have a lot of rebounds at the end of the game. I promise you that. Win, lose, or draw, I will have a lot of rebounds. I don't know if that's what it takes. How many many steals will you have? I don't know. Um, Hopefully a lot. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But rebounds is where we're um, having trouble, and I will will help. Yeah, I have a lot of rebounds tomorrow. So there you go. Take the over on Ant rebounds on Friday. The the third thing Finch mentioned, right, was – not just the fouling, not just the offensive rebounds, but also the stagnant, too sticky offense that the Wolves have had at times in this series. And that, you know, like the fouling, like rebounding, that was also a regular season problem for this team. I mean, more so in the first 25 games of the season when they were kind of trying to figure out what the offensive balance and pecking order was. Less so in the second half when that offense really picked up. But I think we're definitely familiar with the feeling of the ball getting sticky for the Wolves on offense and the offense then sort of stagnating for an extended period of time. The Wolves half-court offense by the end of the regular season was actually slightly above average after you know, kind of being in the bottom five for those first 25 games. But overall, in half-court offense situations, not transition, they scored this regular season 97 points per 100 possessions. Now in the playoffs... The Wolves are scoring 95 points per 100 possessions in the half court. That doesn't seem like a huge difference, but when you look at the numbers across the whole playoff field, half court offense is actually up in effectiveness and frequency in the playoffs. So comparatively, the step back that the Wolves and the Grizzlies too have taken in half court execution, it sticks out in this series. The ball is both ways comparatively more sticky for the Grizzlies and for the Wolves than it was during the regular season. So if the Wolves could get back to the ball movement and offensive execution that they had, particularly in the second half of the regular season, you know, that would be a significant needle mover in game six and if we get to a game seven. Because even though 
both of these teams are trying to get out and run and play in transition, the playoffs do just lead to more half-court offensive possessions, especially in the fourth quarter, right? And if there's... It, it, and it's there in late-game situations, right, where the Wolves are needing answers. You know, figuring out a way to effectively solve the shot distribution issues between Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and Carl Anthony Towns. Here's Ant when he was asked about navigating those fourth quarter situations between him, D'Lo, and Cat. It might not have been the best shots, but how many of those felt like they were going down in the fourth? Man, I had a lot of in and outs, and I can live with that, man, you know. Um, but I agree with Finchie. Uh, a lot of those were, were bad shots when I, I could have drove and created or got to the foul line, but it was a lot of in and outs, I would say, yeah. Is it harder to get Carl involved in those kind of late-game situations uh, when the game slows down or when the offense slows down in those ice ball situations? Uh, I mean, we try, um, but like I said, we got um, three dudes on the team that think that they all, they all can make the shot, like me, D'Lo, and Kat. So it's kind of like, okay, he got to let him try. I got to let him try. He got, you know what I'm saying? So... I mean, we just got to come to an agreement of just let's just move it and get the best shot. That's sort of my turn, your turn energy late in games has been something the Wolves have been trying to navigate the whole season, right? And honestly, it's something that it feels like they haven't found a ton of traction on solving. You know, maybe over the course of the year, there's been more frequent blips of all three of those guys playing off of each other, but finding any consistency to solving that problem has not been something that this team has really had and solving that will likely be what determines game six or game seven if either of those games are close in the fourth quarter so yes memphis does have a blueprint to beating the this wolves team that they will almost certainly try to lean into but for the wolves the good news is they know the blueprint right they they know it's about following less they know it's about better controlling the glass and they know it's about continually prioritizing flow in their offense so as to make their offense less stagnant. The Wolves are capable of doing all three of those things. And game six will be about, you know, how many of those advantages for Memphis the Wolves are able to take away. All right, that's all for me solo here. Next up is my conversation with Keith Parrish, who covers the Grizzlies for Fast Break, for the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Uh, Coming up after the break and then After that, I will talk to you all after game six. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. 
All right, I'm joined right now by Dane Moore of the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Uh, you cover the Timberwolves. Dane, what's your emotional state, man? My emotional state is, I think, confusion. Like, I just, <laughs> I just haven't had a good way to really wrap my head around this series for the past couple of games where I just feel so... I feel so confused by the emotion of the players that is getting in the way of any sort of, you know, real traction that I think we can get as analysis because, you know, is Dylan going to be all over the place? Is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to get fouls all over again? Is Cat going to do that? Is D'Lo going to show? It's just the mental aspect makes this series extremely confusing and fun, I think. It is fun in a way that I'm trying to, think of the right analogy um i don't know like a like a rickety carnival ride that you're not sure is safe exactly uh, when it's over watch, you want to watch you're like you know what that it. was kind of fun <laughs> yeah like you know watching this from a distance that looks fun and then you're on it you're like i hate this this is the worst i don't uh, I, I, i'm not on with this no 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 i went off i went off um yeah so the grizzlies are ahead three two they're in i guess what you would call command of the series if you add up the stats in aggregate it looks like they're winning, but if you've experienced this series, from a Grizzlies perspective, it feels like we're awful. That, like That's my takeaway, and I don't know if it's accurate, and I don't know if I'm shorting the Timberwolves' credit, because I keep thinking, like, everyone is playing so poorly, what is going on? Like, Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark are good, and every, all the rest of you guys are embarrassing me, <laughs> like, like what's happening. And then the Timberwolves, you guys... I can't even wrap my head around it. I mean, I sort of, I experienced uh, the 2012 Grizzlies collapse against the Clippers where they were up 24 in the fourth quarter. Sure. And like, I was at that game and had to drive home three hours after the game. So like, I have a 10-year-old memory of like what that disgust and, and horrible feeling feels like. But then to pair that with the gut punch of game five, no, I don't Keith, know how Keith, to get. Keith, my, Keith, I don't know how to get in that headspace. Stop. So like, like yeah. we're used to this. Like this is what the wolves do, for better or for worse. It is they are so volatile. That is like, there is an intention behind the volatility. Like they have chosen a volatile style of play this year. <laughs> they they seriously have, and they just like they have a you know quote unquote young team, which I know Memphis does too. But I think schematically and what they prioritize this season has has really leaned into kind of that youth and like letting them kind of blow things up in in a positive way where they can just get out on these runs, as you guys have experienced in this series. It's like, man, the Wolves can like hit you with a flurry of punches, oftentimes, mm. right, in, in the first quarter or to start a third quarter or something. You're like, damn, you know? But this is what it's been all year, man, where like it is, I think, for Wolves fans, it's totally a gut punch. Obviously, those sort like, well, I guess you could say three times they've really blown it when twice yeah. in game three and then in game five. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Bulls fans are feeling that, but they do know that at least for this iteration of the Wolves that is inexperienced, youthful, and uber talented, um, it's a little bit like par for the course. Like we almost should have seen some of this volatility coming in, especially when you consider that Memphis has some of that in them as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a good point, but I still don't know how. I don't know. I don't know how people cope with things. Maybe it's a lifetime of just Minnesota sports. Um, I have people in my, my Patreon for Fast Break Breakfast where it's like, what Vikings game is this like? Or something, you know? And there's like this long litany of like, oh yeah, man. This, oh, there's been a, there's there was been a the, There was that. the Brett Favre year and it's like, <laughs> it's all these stuff like that. I know, man, but the Wolves are the seventh seed. They're the seventh seed. It's like, right. it's not this but, massive crumble. If they Like, I went okay. into this series yeah. saying like, get six games. Like six yeah. games of competitive basketball learning, particularly for Anthony Edwards. And I'm not going to lie. Like I said that at the beginning and the experience of it has been a little bit harder than, right. than you would have wanted. But it's still, I think, invaluable. Whatever happens in game six and seven, invaluable for Anthony Edwards. And, you know, Kat and D'Lo are vets now, but like. They each only have played five playoff games. In yeah, their not real vets, this. you know. Yeah. Like they have. They haven't had the. They haven't had the high um, pressure, the high leverage situation reps. Mm -hmm. Like, do you, do you think there is something to this? I feel like this is a a narrative that we all accept. I guess it's true. Like, is there this huge benefit of the Grizzlies having the reps of going through the play in each of the last two seasons and then emerging last year and then being in the playoffs? 
last year, even though they got their co- clocks cleaned by the Jazz. Right. Like, I, I think heading into the series, that was like, you know, where I was saying, all right, the Grizzlies should have an advantage here. I also felt like the Grizzlies should have an advantage in close games because of just John ja Morant. Now, the way the series played out, it's been like, I don't know what the benefit is. You know, yeah. like they've, 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 they, they win game five down to the buzzer, and it felt like that experience maybe was helpful. Like, do you think it's the Grizzlies' experience in the fourth quarters, or is it like, is it actual just, is it more of just Timberwolves' implosion? So I, I'm curious your perspective on this because you might be like, no. Um, everyone was saying, you know, as we knew this was going to be the matchup going in the playoffs, that like the Grizzlies are a year ahead of the Timberwolves in terms of the whole like experience thing. Sure. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in terms of regular season win totals, like would I take the over on 55 wins for the Wolves next year? No. But <laughs> yeah. like there's been this whole idea that the Grizzlies are a full year ahead ahead. And and the way I've been putting it is I feel like they're like six months ahead of the Wolves where they like, they do have that experience from last year, but kind of to my point where I don't think it was this from my perspective in Memphis, I don't feel like last year was a huge experience boost for them. Right. Cause it's the eighth seed. It's not like this type of series where you could really feel it going either way. I'm sure when you guys went into the playoffs last year, like, that you didn't have it in your head that the Grizzlies were probably going to win that series or could really right. win that series. Yeah. With the Wolves, you can at least, I think you could at least go into the series saying like, this could be close. And then you've seen it be close at times where it doesn't totally feel like a two seven matchup, right? Like it feels oh, yeah, like the Grizzlies are the more mature and practiced team but I think the Wolves' belief is growing over the over the course of this time where it doesn't feel to me like the Grizzlies have a ton more experience than the Wolves do. I do feel like, actually, last year's experience, I think specifically the play-in. I think winning two play-in, mm. oppor- you know, like those being the first team, you know, to, to do that, to be the nine seed. Uh, win one game that was pretty close against the Spurs at home, and then go to Golden State and beat Golden State. I do think that actually gave them a lot of just like, all right, we've been here. Mm. And even, you know, they, they won game one against the Jazz, and then they got blown out basically the other games. I do think it actually has helped a lot. And that this experience, whatever it's been, you know, it is specifically these fourth quarters, you know, like, I yeah. do think it will help. I, I think that that is a, a building like a growing tool. I think that's one of the great benefits of actually the, just the play in tournament that you're seeing these teams, you know, For have sure. an opportunity to play games that matter. It's another reason why I poke fun at like the thunder where I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Like, I know, I know you're increasing your odds by 7% to get right. a better pick, but like, shouldn't Josh Giddy play a game that matters? Shouldn't right. Shakers Alexander play? you like, he had that experience with Chris Paul and you just decided, Hey, let's not do this again for three years. Anyway, I digress. Um, no, but it's the idea of the short tank versus the long tank, right? Memphis yeah, and Minnesota yeah, yeah, yeah. both did that. And they got their dude, right? They got Jaw, they got Ant. And then, yes, teams like Oklahoma City or long tankers, they go, all right, we got our one guy. We need another, though. We're not going to start trying until we get another. And and I think in Memphis and Minnesota, you're seeing the case for like, well, this is like the Wolves in Memphis are going to be good. Maybe not great, great but they're going to be good substantially sooner than Oklahoma city is for going into the, into the deep tank. And yeah, I mean, I I think that is the great thing about the plan is we're, we're making a case for this. It was, it was so fun, like all year from the wolves perspective of like trying to scrap for the six seed. Like normally teams wouldn't care about that at all. Right. Like six, seven, whatever, you know, but it was this battle for like the whole final, the Wolves were the seventh seed on January 31st, and they stayed the seventh seed until the end of the season, except for 20 hours where they, <laughs> they tied Denver for the sixth seed, and they had the tiebreaker. So it was like they were the sixth seed for 20 hours. And it's, and then it's, but this is what it's been. And so it was a fight. It was just a fight the whole time. And that was a real case for the, for the plan, I thought. Yeah. Um, the question I get asked the most right now about from this is from like from Grizzlies fans. Um, that I don't have a great answer to. Like, I, I, I've i made up an answer, but I don't really believe it. So I want to know what you're seeing from, I can make the, up from an the other side. <laughs> no, I want to see from your view from the other, your view from the other side. Um, why are the Grizzlies starting Xavier Tillman and why do they, oh. keep, why do they do it two games in a row? Yes, thank you. I love this topic because I don't get it either. Um, okay. 
I, I went into game, well, at the beginning, like game one, I'm like, what are you doing, Memphis, putting Adams on cat? Like sure. one-on-one yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this is, I don't know if Grizzlies fans like totally know this, but it was like the ninth game of the season and or they played Orlando and Orlando for the first time this season did the thing where they guard cat with the four and they have, you know, the Jaron Jackson type rim defender Mobamba like floating in the lane off of Jared Vanderbilt. And there was that game. And then they played the Clippers twice. And then the Clippers did that with Batum on cat and Zubats, you know, floating in the lane. So this has been this has been a thing all year where you're like, why isn't everybody guarding cat this way? Like. It works so well when you do the put a small on them and have the big lurk off of Vanderbilt. And it would be crazy to me anytime a team would put a Steven Adams type of big on Cat one-on-one in coverage and Cat would go to the perimeter and cook them every time. And it happened in game one. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, Jenkins? But then <laughs> but then you're like, whoa, this Clark and Jackson thing, you could put Clark on Cat and have Jackson lurk. That's awesome for Memphis. And so... They've pivoted into that, but not enough, in my opinion, or too like too late a, a little bit. I mean, you're still starting Tillman. You're still playing Tillman. I don't get why if you are going to play a traditional center, you wouldn't play Adams over Tillman if, in those minutes. Well, so it just doesn't all really make sense to me. That, that part I understand because Tillman in space is a much better defender than Steven Adams. Like he but can why do don't you put stuff. Adams on the four? Why don't you put Adams but on Vanderbilt? I got to say... In game five, when it was, whatever, near the end of the third quarter, and Jaron and Dylan and Ja are all having bad games, and, like, Tillman's out there, I'm like, I would rather go down with Steven Adams, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, if we're, if we're going to lose, I would rather lose with Steven Adams on the court and be like, oh, he's getting cooked out there. Not like, hey, Xavier Tillman, who played, like, 18 games this year? Like, I would rather not go down on my season, like, in, in that manner. The, the 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 Brandon and Jaron combination, mm-hmm. I'm I'm losing my mind about this. Uh, it's like all I talk you about, should. where it's like, it's clearly the best weapon. It's the best weapon the Grizzlies have, and now we have multiple games where they don't go to it until like the second quarter, and everyone's like, oh, oh. well, Jaron's foul trouble, so like he's off the court. I'm like, yeah. Do you know any way to guarantee that those two guys can play together before any fouls are called? <laughs> like. Like, like, why don't we just start, start the best? It's so, it's blowing my mind. And like the stats, this is where I get carried away probably too much on my own end, where when I see net rating and things that reinforce my my, my, my opinion, like <laughs> yeah, my previously sure. held opinion is infected with stats, then I become an extremist. I can't hear any <laughs> of their arguments. I, I, I like, look at Taylor Zika's like, man, like, like, bro, you're smart, man. Right. Like, I know you're smart. And like, you won 56 games this year. You've exceeded expectation every single season. Why are Brandon and Jared playing nine minutes together in an entire I- M- NBA game? And, th- and this is, this just goes like, if you just play the top seven guys, the stat I keep saying, if Xavier Tillman, Zaire Williams, or right. Steven Adams are off the court in this series, the Grizzlies have a plus 23 net rating. Yeah. Like they've dominated all the minutes when they play with their top seven guys. And early in this year, I talked I talk with John Krasinski, who was saying like, you know, like, which team has two of the best three players, three of the best four players? And it was honestly, there was an argument for Minnesota, especially after game one. Like, I don't know what the hierarchy is of the talent, but I certainly know like players four through seven, it's the Grizzlies, yeah. you know? And and why, like, like bless Zyra Williams' heart, like, why is he on the court, guys? Like, 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 what are we doing? And like, does it feel that way to you that like the, the Grizzlies have the option of playing good players and they just aren't? <laughs> yeah, let me, let me give you the, to the, I want to say this first to the, why aren't they starting Brandon and Jaron together when they don't have fouls? Or why aren't they going to it earlier? I mean, the Wolves have outscored the Grizzlies by 33 in the first quarter in this series. Yeah, like, the Wolves I, are scoring 35 a game in the first quarters. I, and, and the Wolves have always, like, when they're playing well, they always kind of punch first. And they're good, they're good at that. But, like, you could block that punch if you're Jenkins. It seems like, right? And, and, and they're... they're, they're somewhat choosing not to but then what he i think is doing a really good job of is kind of mixing it in and out throughout the rest of the game which is which is kind of to your point of or kind of to the point of why it feels gradually over the course of the game that 
Memphis is getting better and better. But it does feel like, wait a minute, what if we didn't like dink around in the first quarter? Or what if we didn't? What wasn't it like? I, I at the beginning of the second quarter in Game Five, I'm like, really? Like you're gonna run this group out there? I, I was saying to Chase Frederick, oh, we dusted, we dusted off Conchar. Yes, exactly. I'm like. Man, the Grizzlies are not playing coming. good players. There was a there was there was a there was a camera shot in the end of the first quarter where they showed Anthony Melson on, on the bench. Yeah. And I am I'm the world's leading Anthony Melson one propagandist. I'm an extremist. Like I believe in everything. <laughs> he's shooting he's shooting 16% from the series and has been a net positive. Like uh, and so it's like my take is always if he makes any shots, you win those minutes by a ton. Yeah. And so but there was a shot of him on the bench, and I could tell by his body language in the first quarter, oh, we're not playing Melt today. Like, <laughs> like he was leaning, he was leaning back in his chair. And I was like, oh, so we're doing we're doing Conchar. And that lineup you, you speak to, I'm pretty sure it was um it was like Tyus, Bain, Conchar, maybe Brandon maybe and Dylan Jared. because because Dylan played so much. Yeah, that was I mean, like, hey, you know, Dylan was bad, but like we roll with Dylan. Yeah. There's nothing to do. You know, like like people are like, why is Dylan shooting so much? I'm like, he's pretty much open. Whatever. Like, we can't. There's no. Do you want to play Zion Williams? Cat. No. He's also yeah. d- doing a great job defensively. I mean, he slowed down D-Lo. Plus going to the cat. Yeah. He's been good. We got to get to that in a second. But like the start of the second quarter lineup won. Objectively, I like that lineup. It's been a great regular season lineup. But it's mm-hmm. also like, why are we rolling this stuff out? Well, like, I know he wants, Taylor Jenkins wants to trust his Tid Deep rotation. Um, I, I do like that they pulled the plug on it kind of quickly, but like I just wish my argument is Conchar over Williams. I'd rather see what that yeah. looks like. But like if you're going to advance, if you win this series, like that's not the goal. I mean, the goal is to hopefully go a little bit further. Um, but like you're going to need Melton to hit his shots. So like that's where I was weirded out by like why are we adjusting here? But it also goes to the so we tried that lineup at the start of the second quarter. It wasn't until there was five and a half minutes left or maybe six minutes left. Where they where they played for the first time, a five man unit consisting only of their best seven players. Mm. Like the Grizzlies waited eighteen minutes to do that. They were down by six at that point, and it's still I'm, I don't know. I'm pulling my head out, my hair out. The uh, Dylan guarding cat. So yeah. the Grizzlies down the stretch, they went super small, um, which is something they also did in the postseason last year to horrible uh, deleterious effect. They got absolutely. Uh, I don't know, nuked by the Jazz, who were like, by all means, please play small ball against our, you know, Go Bear and Four Wings lineup, which is our bread and butter. But anyway, it, it, this game, um, or, or game five, they did do, where Tyus and John playing together, Desmond and Bain, three and four, with just any big. It was Brandon Clark in this situation. I assume they're going to go back to that early because I think Taylor Jenkins has an affinity for playing super small whenever he gets the excuse do you think that's a good weapon for the Grizzlies? Do you think with the Timberwolves being maybe more aware of it, that they will be able to attack it a little bit more? Like, what do you think that's going to shake out in game six when those guys are on the court? I thought it was absolutely terrible and inexcusable that in the end of the game that Memphis went with Clark as the biggest player on the floor and Bain and Brooks as the next two biggest. And the Wolves still would not even consider posting up Carl. Like, that is... They've basically thrown that out of the mix as much as the Grizzlies have thrown Steven Adams out of the mix of this this series. And it's something that Carl has struggled with all season is when he catches it in the post. He doesn't do his work early. He doesn't get deep, right? So when he's when he's getting doubled there, it, it messes... It, it does mess them up, but you... It just, I was like, I don't know, man. They're going as small as they can possibly go here. Are we sure we want Carl just floating around on the perimeter? And then they moved him to the nail, right? Like the elbow of that sort of area, which is typically what the Wolves have done when teams will switch a real small onto him. Or like he'll get a screen and roll and the guard will switch on him and he immediately goes to the nail. They're, they're trying to do that. And I think you'll see more of that if Memphis goes small again. But I'm like, man, it's just kind of weak. It's just kind of weak that you can't <laughs> post this up, you know? I mean, it's your best player. It's your best player who are looking. You desperately feel like you need more shots from him, but you're ruling out posting him up because it's it, it's not working. It, it's it's. I think that was, I left game five, like, legitimately frustrated about that. Yeah, sure. And, 
and, you know, and asking Finch about it after the game, who didn't love the questions about it either, because yeah. it is in it. It's it's an admittance on the Wolves part of something they haven't had an answer for all year They that they should have an answer for, but but that they don't. So it's going to be a real like game of chicken in this next time, because this next game, because I think Memphis should lean into that further, be like, prove it. All right. Like this is. We're cool with playing with offense with this group. So, you know, beat us, beat us with it. And I don't know what like the Wolves answer is going to be to beat it. It was it went really, really poorly in the fourth quarter of game five. That's interesting because from my perspective, with that small lineup on the court, I honestly, I feel like if I was picking my poison, I think I would actually choose to face a Carl Anthony Towns post-up. Like, I feel like that Over was... Over a D'Angelo Russell isolation? Well, you know, D'Lo can I That's the that's alternative. That's, I mean, that's what they are going to choose the alternative to be because they don't... I don't know. That's just what happens. So, like... At the end of at the end of fourth quarter, the fourth quarter, I remember. So I, I fear the Anthony Edwards, just any isolation because if if, if Dylan Brooks is guarding, yeah, Cat, no one can guard Anthony Edwards, and and Anthony Edwards got to his spot, you know, pulled up from like seventeen or whatever, drilled mm-hmm. a jumper, um, and then the other ways the Timberwolves could attack, like I guess I fear those a little bit more. Even Carl Anthony Towns, like all right, if you get it to him, I mean on the nail or like twenty feet for the bucket, that's like a a virtual layup. That's what I fear. It's just, just a straightaway cat being like, I could shoot uncontested over this Grizzlies lineup any single time I want. But he doesn't. So like, I, I guess, but he doesn't. I know. That's well, the he problem. Made, hey, he made. I know you guys. Someone dribbled it off their foot, and then there was the bad D'Lo ISO. But you guys did score. Yeah. Going down the stretch uh, of of game five. He needs, to isolate, on, he needs to isolate yeah. on the perimeter more. One one way or the other, yeah. he needs to boost his usage. So if if posting yeah, up. Sure. It, is out of the question, then what Carl needs to do is he needs to play on the perimeter and he needs to go to his step-back game, which he yeah. did. He hit two step-back threes in in the second half of, of the last game, which has always been an, a very effective tool from Carl that he does not use very often. He took 32 step-backs during the regular season, made 16 of them. I mean, there should be more of them. <laughs> it's something he's done. He's actually made step-back threes throughout his career at a higher rate then he's made all of his other threes. It's something that has inexplicably not been used enough. And and that, if you're gonna put Darren or if you're gonna put Desmond on him, or if you're gonna put Dylan on him, then on the perimeter, if you want to shoot Carl, like this is your choice because those guys are gonna move their feet and they're gonna get in the way of the drive, right? And they're gonna try and take charges and it's gonna get you in foul trouble. You're not gonna get called for a charge on a step back three. You're literally moving away from making contact. And it just it has been something that hasn't made sense to me all season of why he doesn't go to that more. And and now Memphis is daring you to do it. Memphis is daring you to 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 play on the perimeter and create your own shots. And Carl has to do that in game six and seven. If, if you want a little secret, um, don't tell the team this. The, uh, the Grizzlies are terrible at drawing charges. They usually refuse to even attempt to draw charges. I think... I know Cat has picked up some horrible fouls, uh, obviously, but like I think he could drive with a little more impunity and not worry about it. The Grizzlies are so bad at like just don't push anybody, Carl. Just keep your arms yeah. down. I don't, I don't know if the Grizzlies are. I don't know if you yeah, can do that, man. Um, I don't know. Well, what's the I have in my mind from the Grizzlies side? Listen, my adjustment is just play your best players. For the Timberwolves side, is there adjustment that like you think is maybe low hanging fruit of like, hey, we got to get. I don't know who it is. Get Beverly off the court more? I don't know if that's a, a, a fair. Is, is there a, somebody else you could depend on that you think the team sh- should be using more or a lineup change that the Timberwolves should go to? I think Finch is desperately trying to get Jordan McLaughlin in the mix as much as possible without upsetting the political pecking order. <laughs> and and you start yeah. running into that, right? I mean, it kind of resolved yeah. itself. Like You could tell Finch wanted to play J-Mac to close that game because J-Mac puts pace into the lead ball handler role in a way that Pat Bev doesn't, D'Lo doesn't, Ant does it, right? And Finch loves that. He loves that. And they got that to happen because Pat Bev fouled out, right? Like halfway or in the in the fourth quarter. So they got to they gotta play J-Mac for the majority of the quarter. But the adjustment for the Wolves is they need to play the offense they're playing, but play it faster. And Jordan McLaughlin has always instilled that in the group. 
And if it's not just James, if it's not when J Max on the floor, you need D'Lo to push it up more. You need Pat. To, Pat when he walks it up the floor and he like puts his two fingers up like horns. You know, we're like, yeah, we know we're running horns. You do that every time. You bring the ball up. Carl at the elbow, and to the, you know, it's like yeah. go. They got to go because when the wolves slow down ever in transition or in the half court, that's what allows Memphis to load up. So the adjustment offensively, I think, is is go quicker in transition. That's obvious. But you can play with more pace in the half court as well. And I think that's where you start, like, countering some of the defensive answers it feels like Memphis has has presented for this team. Yeah, I have a healthy respect for uh, McLaughlin. Like, I don't want him on the court. Grizzlies yeah. fans are always, like, are, like, are always booing Patrick Beverly and, like, cheering when he picks up fouls. And I'm like... I want him to play. Uh, like, like, I don't know what you're doing. Um, so you haven't finally. thought that, like, you haven't thought that the Pat Bev, like, Pat is going at Jaw, and that's yeah. making Jaw work on both ends. There's some value that in that. That is true. The there is side. value there. Patrick Beverly has absolutely 100% forced Jaw into turnovers that Jaw would not have otherwise committed. I've This is one thing I've criticized Jaw Brent for his entire career. As for lack of a better term, I feel like he, he acts too cool at times. Like he's too casual with the ball. And if you go up against like a Patrick Beverly, a guy whose entire shtick, for lack of a better term, uh, is to like, you know, get up on you and pressure you, Jaw is prone to turn the ball over because right. he just doesn't want to like chin the ball or like go right. into a triple threat. You know, like, like he's acting, he acts too casual at times. So yes, Patrick Beverly absolutely has been effective at times, but also when like, it becomes fourth quarter, like it's it's yeah. nut up time. I'm like, yeah, let's let Pat Beverly have the ball. It works. Yeah. Like, like I will, I, I will take the results of this. Um, last thing, can I say something related to that yeah. though? Because I think yeah. it's important, you know, relative to Game Five, is that Pat fouled out with two minutes left in the game, and I know a lot of people have. I, yeah. I, I don't know about you, but the whole like ref thing, I'm like, I whatever. It's terrible both ways. I I don't have an opinion. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on that. Dane, I saw a thread online on Twitter from a Timberwolves fan about look at these missed calls that. that benefited Jaw. They were all correct calls, except for the uncalled push out of bounds. Okay. Yes, I saw that. The thread. uncalled push out of bounds, sure. They don't call that very often. Every other one was like, well, that's you need a better replay. You need a better angle, buddy. Those are all. <laughs> anyway, right, I'm sorry. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> but, but but point is, point is, Pat was off the floor for one reason. He fouled out of the game. And yeah, I yeah, I tweeted out like when he weighed like his big aggressive like foul on Desmond Bain at the end of the second quarter that picked mm. up his third, which sent him to the bench. Like Pat has done that all year where he does like take fouls when he's in foul trouble. I'm like, no, what? No, don't. That's not when we want this. And it, it was I thought it was costly in that game because. Pat fouls out with two minutes left in the game. And then, you know, as the two minutes play out, Ant hits the corner three from Jordan McLaughlin. And yeah. and now it's, you know, it's a tie game with three seconds left. And now the Wolves are putting Anthony Edwards on John Morant. And Anthony Edwards makes a terrible tactical decision trying to go to the top side to steal the ball there. Pat would not have done that, right? Like, yeah, Pat, sure. Pat's strategy there, would I mean, he might have fouled Ja, but he would have, his strategy would have been just square jaw up and try and take away the drive, right? And I think in that situation, now Jaw's probably trying to come in just because there's a limited amount of time and he's taking a pull-up 16-70 footer. Like you live with that if you're the wolves. So yeah. to that end, it's like I I'm with you. Like the pat part of this has all been volatile, but they need him in the spots that they need him. And they probably need him to tone down some things in the spots that they don't need him. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, and I definitely trust your opinion more than my more <laughs> casual uh, Timberwolves observations. Uh, last thing, just a, a cliched question, um, because I got asked this uh, and my answer, um, it was like, who's the X factor in your mind? Who's the X factor for game six or a game seven? Because my answer was John Moran. And I don't know if that was fair. Like, does that count as an X factor? Like if John Moran is regular season jaw, yeah, I think the Grizzlies are going to be fine. If Jaw is the Jaw we've seen against the Timberwolves all year, essentially, where yeah. it, basically mainly bad, um, like that's that's a well, big that's a problem. Credit for the to Grizzlies. the Wolves' defense. That's the credit to the way they're sure. guarding him. They're, sure. they're forcing. Not that it's like it, when Jaw's getting off of it, it's leading to to you know good offense. It's leading to Clark Lobs. It's leading to Bain in the opposite corner. Those sort of things that are profitable for Memphis. But the Wolves are good at that concept of bringing Carl up to the level 
Jaws trying to go laterally with it and they get it out of his hands, you know? So I don't think you can get regular season jaw for like 48 minutes. I don't think you can yeah. against that coverage. It just, they're forcing the ball out of his hands. So they need like jaw to, in my mind, to like go back and forth from like being regular season jaw, super high usage, getting downhill when he can, when the splits are there to split that pick and roll. But if not, he does need to, like, he does need to get off of it at the same time, which that puts a pressure on, on the other players. And then the Wolves need to stop at least one of Bain or Clark, which they are not, you know, they are not currently doing. But I don't know, for me, Joss is kind of like this sort of consistent in, in my mind in this series of That's not, interesting. Too, not too great, but obviously not yeah. hurting them either. He's racking up assists. Every time people yeah. are like, oh, you know, Josh shooting some terrible percentage or he only has nine points and it's the fourth quarter. Like, I'm like, well, look at the assist column. It's at 15, you know, like there's, I don't know. That, that's been a fascinating sort of, at, like, like you said, back to the regular season too. They were doing the same thing against John the regular season, just trying to force the ball out of his, out of his hands. Yeah, I think John made a good adjustment. I don't know if it was purposeful, but he did at least finally start taking floaters again, where he yeah. stopped, tried to score that in-between zone. And even when he missed them, you know, Clark cleaned them up. And that's been like the Grizzlies bread and butter all if year. You can get, if you can get Carl to show on that floater, right? If you can yeah. get him to jump to contest, now the he's not going to block a floater, right? But he's, he's up contesting it. So by the time the ball hits the rim, like that's when Carl is landing. So he needs to then, as the only competent rebounder on the team, he needs to land, pivot, jump and go get it well Clark is just bad out of hell like come he's not gonna yeah. win that Carl's not gonna win that you know so definitely like as much as the Grizzlies can split that high coverage and get into the lane even if it's those like Tyus floaters that are really like turnover saves where he just kind of throws it at the backboard you know like yeah. that you just get that because a great offense for Memphis right now is just putting it on the glass and letting not just Clark I mean Tyus is getting offensive rebounds. Jaws getting offensive rebounds. That's I mean, right. they, That's they, right. can, they can they can really they can really punish the Wolves with that. So get there, right? You got to get there as much as possible. Yeah. Well, Dane, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Do I need an X Factor? Wait, do I need an yeah, X Factor? Yeah, do an X Factor. Give me an X Factor. I I I just did mine and we just focused on it. In I, your mind, who's the X Factor for I'll go for the Minnesota six, side. seven. Yeah. Um it's gotta be one of the Wolves shooters that are not shooting right now or, or playing well. And I would put that Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, right? I oh, mean, yeah. the Wolves in games this season, when you get like five, six made threes from Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell, that's tough. I mean, it's it's tough because what what helps is those guys play like not when Carl and Ant are out there a lot. So there's always this like, you know, baseline of when Carl is on the floor, right? The offense is going to be pretty good. But then if you can make all like the non-Carl minutes or the tired Carl minutes be surrounded by D'Angelo hitting threes and Malik hitting spot up threes, that's that's when the Wolves offense is like, okay, this is this is one of the best offenses that you could play for 48 minutes. So, I mean, Malik had an awesome first game. And as it's been for a lot of the season, he's... He's an emblem of the volatility of, of this team as well. And, and same with D'Angelo, right? Like, I, I think Grizzlies fans are probably thinking, like, yes, as, as much D'Angelo as possible, right? And, and, and you should. But there is this, like, 20% thing where D'Lo just goes off, right? He averaged 31 a game. Yeah, we the know. Grizzlies. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that, is, yeah. that is still possible. And it would not shock me at all to see D'Lo do that. In, in game six, particularly if Dylan isn't guarding him. Like, exactly. If yeah. Kyle, that's why going to Kyle in game, what was that? When Kyle started game three? Uh, it was game, yeah, game three he started. It yep. gave, that gave D'Lo a place to both hide on defense and then situationally it, it took, you know, Dylan off. He got isolation situations on Kyle, which that is, that's valuable for him too because, Pretty clearly, like, if Dilo's got to guard Bain on defense, which he does against the normal starting lineup, and he's guarded by Brooks, you're not getting a good Dilo game if he has to do right. both of those things. So 
if he can find a crack to not be guarding a good player and to be guarded by not a good player, which this kind of goes back to your point of like, stop playing bad players, Memphis, you know, because <laughs> yeah. that, that yeah. that's how you could let D'Lo go off and get, you know, 30 in one of these games. And I don't, if D'Lo gets 30 tomorrow, Minnesota's probably going to win that game. Yeah. As far as the volatility guys, Malik Beasley, I also like, can I include a, a Jaden McDaniels? Like whenever he hits his threes too, it's just like, maybe yeah. he's too much of a, that's too much of an aberration to hope for him to make. It's kind of like Jaren. It's kind of like Jaren Jackson where you're like, well, that doesn't look good. Um, well, you know, oh but, yeah. <laughs> but like it goes in, you know, like low 30s. Like you, you I think you still want Jaden to be taking them because if he is taking them, he's got some off the dribble game that he can go to as well. You know, where now he can kind of pump and go. The problem, Jaden and Jaren are actually very similar. They're the two, two of the most prolific followers in the league, which throws them out <laughs> of their rhythm. But when those guys are in rhythm and they're defending, Jaren's blocking shots or Jaden's, you know, locking dudes up on the perimeter, then those guys become they're those I think both of them are X factors in in game six if they cannot get in foul trouble. Now that's a like a 10% proposition that either <laughs> of them won't be in foul trouble. But if they aren't, like that is that that's another X factor for sure in this game. Yeah. Well, now I think we wrapped up all our X factors. Uh, yeah, we just go through it, the whole roster. Man, I, I, Jared, Culver, I assume, Jared Culver. I just assume Game Six is going to be drunk again, and then oh, if we yeah. get a Game Seven, uh, a nuts uh, Sunday afternoon wildness. Uh, Got to be man. If the Turbos take care of business um, in Game Six, which there's no reason to, to not think they they, they will. Uh, I know the Grizzlies have some inherent scars from Game 7s in their playoff history, so I think maybe the pressure definitely will switch to the Grizzlies. So it's imperative, and, and, and the you know, to push. Wolves are too, like... It's a free roll, man. Yeah, inexperienced even. Like, the, the idea of a Game 7 won't scare them because they haven't done it before. Like, it maybe should scare them, but yeah. I, I think I, I think you'll get good Wolves in, yeah. in a Game 7 situation. So, yeah, if I'm Memphis, like... It's going to be tough to win at Target Center, but I don't think yeah. you could just like roll it out and be like, all right, let's just get it back to the crib for game seven. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, not. like you got to. I'd be scared of the Wolves in the game seven. I really would because they're just. I'm, hey, listen, you, just, you, I have the I have a healthy fear of the Wolves. You don't have to convince me. I'm scared <laughs> of the Wolves. I don't like it. I want it to be over. Um, <laughs> anyways, thanks, Dane. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I look forward to having you on again sometime. Yes, for sure, man. Thanks for doing it. And uh yeah, maybe I'll see you see you back in Memphis for Game Seven. You never know. <laughs> All right. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah, green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around. The headlines remind us daily: the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.